This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, episode 242. Die with zero and love every minute of it. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey there, and welcome to this week's episode. Glad you joined me today. How would you answer this question? What is the purpose of your money? I've been thinking about this one quite a bit lately, and I'm learning quite a bit about myself in the process. I think it's a helpful question since we're spending so much time talking on this podcast about money, and very likely the majority of our waking hours revolve around how to make money and how to earn money and how to keep money and how to spend money. But what's it all for? In my mind, money is not in and of itself important. That sounds probably strange coming from a certified financial planner. But it can get very confusing sometimes when all you do is work for that mighty dollar. But guys, the truth is money itself has no value. It's what the money helps you accomplish and who it helps you become along the way. If you're a jerk, and you get a ton of money over the years of life, then you're just going to be more of who you already are. And if you're kind, you're going to be even more incredibly kind and gracious to the rest of the world with additional money. So the key, in my opinion, is to work on yourself as much as you work for your money. Let me say that again. So the key is, in my opinion anyway, is to work as much on yourself as you work for your money. Now, money is one of those interesting parts of life that has no life to itself, but it seems to touch every area of your life that's truly important. I want you to think about how life would be different in the areas that truly matter to you the most if you did not have any money. Think of how money impacts your important relationships, your goals, your purposes, your fears, death, marriage, children, your legacy. Money seems to be there for every stage of your life, and, it, and everything that truly counts relies on money. Remember, money itself has no value by itself. Big pile of paper, green stuff, is not really going to do much for you, whether it's digits on a screen or green stuff in a, in a safe somewhere. But I cannot think of anything else in life that comes close to touching all the important parts of life, which is what makes money truly remarkable in that regard. But have you ever really considered writing your purpose of money? Do you have a financial statement of purpose that clarifies what your money is supposed to be for you? When I look at the purpose of a hammer in my toolbox, I don't necessarily have a long existential thought process about what the hammer's for, you know, really because a hammer is really only good for one thing. What's a hammer good for? Well, of course, besides smashing my thumb while I'm trying to hit a nail. <laughs> For all the important areas of life, it might be a good idea to clarify for yourself what the point of money really is. If you're going to spend so much time focused on it, earning it for eight hours a day, spending it in your free time, building up a big pile of it for your retirement, leaving something for future generations, why not take a few moments to think through what is the purpose of money? You know, it might just save your life. So let's dive into this. Now, I'll say right up front that we don't have time to get into a long, drawn-out thought exercise here. 
And podcasts aren't really designed for that, but I can give you a story to get you started on your purpose of money. A few years ago, and this is a famous story, uh, so I'll read it to you here. A few years ago, a very rich businessman decides to take a vacation to a small tropical island in the South Pacific. He's worked hard all his life. He decided that now is the time to enjoy the fruits of his labor. He's excited about visiting the island because he's heard that there's incredible fishing there. He loved fishing as a young boy, but hasn't been able to get out for years because he's been so busy working to save for his retirement. So on his first day, he spots a fisherman coming in from the beach with a large bucket full of fish. How long did you fish for? The man asks. The fisherman looks at the businessman with a wide grin across his face and explains that he's fished for about three or four hours every day. The businessman then asks why he's returned so quickly. Don't worry, says the fisherman. There's still plenty of fish out there. Dumbfounded, the businessman asks the fisherman why he didn't continue catching even more fish. The fisherman patiently explains that what he caught is all he's going to need for the day. I'll spend the rest of my day playing with my family, taking my friends out, and maybe drinking a little wine. Then I'll relax on the beach. Now, the rich businessman figures he needs to teach this peasant fisherman a thing or two. So he explains to him that he should stay out all day and catch even more fish, that he could save up the extra money he makes and buy an even bigger boat and catch even more fish. He could then reinvest those profits and hire many other fishermen, buy even more boats, and have more people working for him. And if the man works really hard in 20 or 30 years, he'll be a very rich man indeed. The businessman is pleased that he's helped teach this simple fellow how to become rich. Then the fisherman says to the businessman with a puzzled look on his face what he'll do after all he's done to become so very rich. The businessman is quick to respond. Well, you can spend that time with your family, you can talk to your friends, and maybe drink a little wine in the evening, or you could just relax on the beach. Now, that is an ironic story because I can find myself in both man's shoes. I can see the importance of building and growing and reaching my potential as a business person. And even if you don't own a business, maybe your goal is to reach a certain financial milestone or pay off your debts or reach millionaire status, you know, the two comma club. Whatever you're trying to shoot for, there's nothing wrong with healthy growth. In fact, all of nature seems to encourage us to grow. But at the same time, I see myself siding with the fisherman. We understand that the purpose of his work is to tie back to the things that really matter to him, love, family, enjoyment, and more. In fact, I'm starting to believe that anything that you earn that you don't eventually spend and enjoy yourself is ultimately a waste of that earning and ultimately it's a waste of life. For example, if you die with a million dollars and you didn't spend that money or give it to someone you care about, that's a million dollars worth of experiences that you didn't have that somebody else will get to enjoy instead. Think of money like a form of life energy. When you trade time for money at your day job, let's say, you're literally giving up a little bit of your life and you get some coin that you can use to trade for a better life in the future, a better experience of in the future, even if that future is just Friday night or at the grocery store. But if you go your entire life and just forego experiences and leave that money to somebody else, then somebody else will get to enjoy their life instead. So you don't just want to go for a return on equity for its own sake. Many people look at, for example, let's say real estate investing and calculate the return on equity. This is called ROE, return on equity. What is the cap rate on that particular rental property? 
Well, that's a totally reasonable calculation to make. And that's the businessman's perspective. But what is the fisherman's perspective? It's to calculate another ROE, a return on experience. If it's a real estate deal and it looks awesome, don't buy that real estate deal until you've asked yourself if you and your family could have good experiences there at that property. There's a book. It's called Die With Zero. It's a book by the legendary energy trader, Bill Perkins. And he goes through several thought-provoking frameworks for maximizing uh, net fulfillment over net worth. And I had just a real thrill reading through his book because it runs counter to what so many people say is the ultimate goal of money. In fact, Bill says that all of your life experiences come with it a memory dividend. This is what really grabbed my attention. Uh, so when you have a positive experience in your life or with your family, uh, that's creating an investable memory dividend, something that can be reinvested into your thoughts each time you think about it. That's why we grab our family photo albums and family heirlooms when our house is on fire. If you think about it, there's no rational financial reason to grab the family quilt or our wedding photo album, but then let our expensive TV burn. Except that we understand that TVs can be replaced, but memories cannot. Our experiences and our memories can then be reinvested as we think about those memories again for the rest of your life. So when you go on a worldwide vacation, you're traveling the world for six months, let's say, for the rest of your life, as long as your mind works, you can enjoy that beautiful life experience over and over again. Case in point, I'm glad I went to Japan in my early 20s. I've did a lot of travel in my 20s, but I, I love that trip to Japan because I've been able to enjoy those memories of that trip over and over again for the last 20 years. In fact, I went on that trip with now my beautiful wife, Katrina. And so she and I have been able to both share those memories together since these last many years have passed. And we hopefully have many decades of life to go and we'll continue to enjoy that, that one trip over and over again in our minds. If I had waited until I was 78 years old to go visit Japan, that's not a problem, but I wouldn't have had a lifetime of memory dividends, earning and, and reinvesting those positive feelings and memories over and over again. Not to mention the friendships I was able to make while I was there. So when you reinvest your memory dividends, the experience becomes more valuable to you and you become a different kind of rich. It's partly why we call it paying attention, paying attention. It costs something to pay attention, but you also get something for it. Now, there's another story I'm going to share about a man who had a very rich uncle. Uh, the uncle died, and a man was called to the office of the uncle's attorney, where he was told the uncle had left a huge fortune to the man. To collect the inheritance, however, the man had to complete a specific task, which was described on a slip of paper. So when he tried to accomplish the task, one task turned to another, and another, and another. As he pursued his uncle's final request, he was taken on a journey into foreign lands. He met many exotic people, and he had incredible life experiences. More years passed, and the man almost lost track of why he was even on the journey in the first place. Finally, the task and the journey led him right back to the attorney's office. Now an older and wiser man, he came to collect his uncle's inheritance. The lawyer smiled and said, as the uncle intended, you've already collected it in the things you've done and the people you've met and the things you've learned. And as your uncle intended, your inheritance will last your entire lifetime. Now, many people work for money they will never end up spending or using for their benefit during their lifetime. I want you to imagine a father working for, let's say, $50 an hour. 
and he's diligently saving and the saving that he saves never gets spent. He never goes on that vacation. He never uses the sick time or the paid time off. And the accumulation is a nice nest egg for him and his wife. And he works until his late 70s, maybe even his early 80s. He doesn't especially like his work. And unfortunately, he passes away well before he can spend all the money he saved. He didn't have especially any charities or causes that he cared about. And yes, he had children, but he didn't exactly instill financial values or principles into them. He sort of left that money to them by default. Now, let's say he passes away with one and a half million dollars. If he leaves that to his children, many people would look at that as a wonderful legacy. Wow, what a gift to leave one and a half million dollars. But unless it was truly an intentional act for this man to leave exactly one and a half million dollars to his children or charities with specific directives and goals for what that money should do to make the world a better place and to make his family more aligned with his vision uh, of his family's future, it was all a waste. In fact, at $50 an hour, you could calculate exactly how many years this man worked entirely for free. Now, what an absolute shame that is, sitting there in his office chair for weeks and months and even years at a time without ever receiving any money or value for the work he was doing. Let that sink in for a minute. He went for years, maybe even decades, working needlessly to help somebody else have a wonderful experience. Who got those experiences? His boss did. His children did. Now, some people think that leaving a bunch of money to your children is a wonderful legacy, but I want you to think again. This dearly departed father went without all the country clubs and vacations and sports cars, and this dutiful saver went without all his lifetime, and he's going to leave it as an inheritance to his children. Now, what do you think the children will do with it? The children will spend it on the country clubs, the vacations, and the sports cars. Nothing is more wasteful than getting no value out of your work. Remember, guys, money is life energy. So we started this episode by talking about the purpose of money. And it would come down to the kinds of memories and experiences that you want to invest in. You want those memory dividends. You want those memories to pay you significant dividends over your lifetime. Maybe for some of you, it's traveling to all the great castles in Europe. I know a wonderful couple whose goal it is over their lifetime to visit every major baseball stadium in the United States. Could these be seen as financial goals as much as they are frivolous vacations? When you save a little money from last week's paycheck, could you imagine some of that money being converted into a memory dividend? I like to think about money a little different, as you can tell. This is sort of one way I'm currently thinking about money. Now, I've written up a current personal working definition of money, and I'm going to share it with you. But before I do, I want you to consider writing your own. So if you're listening to this and you can pause the episode, try writing it down. What is the purpose of money for you? Given what I've shared in this episode today, how would you define your purpose of money? I'm going to share mine now. So pause the episode. Come back to me when you're ready. Okay, ready? Here we go. My current personal working definition of money is this. To have abundant time, energy, and attention for family, mainly outdoors, serving community. Let me say that again because that's my current definition. I could change it, I guess. But the idea is to have abundant time, energy, and attention for family, mainly outdoors, serving community. That to me is the purpose of money. When I have money, I want my money to serve the interests of that statement. I want to help build abundant time. Time for what? Time for my family, mostly outside. Time where I can serve my community. 
I want money to give me abundant energy. This means investing in my health, investing in my mind. I want money to help me focus my attention on my family and serving others. If I am serving money, I will waste my life. But when my money serves me, I can direct it in the right areas like community and family to build the best life possible. So some of you might be objecting at this point, thinking, Mark, I have no idea when I'm going to pass away. And Mark, this die with zero thing, doesn't it fly in the face of what you say on so many other podcast episodes, saying that we need to save more money and that we're in some major retirement crisis and how we might outlive our savings? And yes, yes, your objection is absolutely true. The fear of running out of money is pervasive in the United States. Nearly half of Americans have this as their primary money concern, according to a 2019 Aegon Retirement Readiness Survey. And their worries are well-founded. A 2012 paper from the National Bureau of Economic Research found that 46% of older adults died with less than $10,000 left. And TIAA's 2021 Lifetime Income Survey found 45% of over 1,000 working American millennials, Gen Xers, and baby boomers who participated in the survey said that exhausting their financial resources was their primary chief concern. Certainly very real, understandable worry in today's climate. So to help alleviate that concern, 51% said that making investments last in retirement was their top priority. Now, if you're scared of running out of money before you die, I have some simple solutions that we specialize in at our firm, Lake Growth Financial Services. One is very common in the financial universe. It's over 2,000 years old, and it absolutely solves the problem of living too long and outliving your money. It's called an annuity. Now, how does the not-your-average-financial paradigm fit into the die-with-zero strategy? An annuity solves the problem of being scared of running out of money before you die. It pays you as long as you live. And then it stops on the exact date of when you pass away or when your surviving spouse passes away. Nothing could be more efficient than that. You think about the inefficiencies of 401ks and IRAs and brokerage accounts and so forth. To leave all that money on the table when you pass away is highly inefficient. But an annuity maximizes the cash flow to you. So you can enjoy those trips, vacations, you know, whatever else you might need to use those golden years for to enjoy the memory dividends both now and in the future. Also, I want to talk about how whole life insurance gives you the permission slip to spend money while you're still alive. A lot of folks will talk to me about, hey, Mark, that's great that I've got this whole life insurance policy, bank on yourself designed, maximum cash value. And it's even going to give me a um, tax advantaged income, possibly tax free throughout my retirement life. And it's also going to give me a tax advantaged, and if we designed it correctly, tax free income in retirement. Now, that is a tremendous value for a lot of folks, but they begin to ask questions like, well, Mark, how much could I take out of my policy without spending down my cash value? Let's say that they had a million dollar cash value. And let's say it's growing at $50,000 a year, just based on the interest and dividends that are accumulating. Some clients would say, well, Mark, I don't want to take more than that $50,000. I want to keep my million dollar cash value where it is. And that's totally reasonable. Uh, we have a desire to not spend down the principal, mostly because uh, that's a phenomenon of, of not running out of money, being concerned that you might not have anything left to leave the kids. But with dividend-paying whole life insurance designed the bank on yourself way, it's okay to spend down some or even all of your 
cash value. Why? Because we have this wonderful permission slip. It's called the death benefit. The death benefit replenishes your cash value, you might say, when you pass away. In other words, spending down that million bucks still leaves your family with a very large death benefit. You could calculate it to be precise here, but if you wanted to leave your kids a million bucks, your cash value, you might be able to spend that down to, let's just say 400,000 bucks before you pass away. Then your death benefit is paid out at a million bucks when your family needs the money the most when you've passed. So there's a great incentive to go ahead and spend down some more of your cash. You've got that permission slip from the insurance company when you have whole life insurance designed to bank on yourself way. But what about the kids? Some people say, Mark, uh, how can I die with zero and leave my kids absolutely nothing? Again, instead of waiting until you die to give them your cash, do it now while they could still use it. The average age to receive an inheritance is 60 years old. That's far after folks are in their prime spending years which is typically in their 40s. Again, if you want to give your kids a memory dividend to travel to Japan or wherever their adventure might take them throughout life, let them go earlier in life so that they can remember that trip to South America or you know, skydive or whatever it is that they want to do. Build that into their memory dividends. Make that dividend reinvestment a part of your family's value system. So this is a pretty radical view, I realize, of your financial plan, and it takes particular financial products to be able to make it all work. Bill Perkins brought the book, Die With Zero, to the fore. And as a guy who was a top-notch energy trader on Wall Street, I was surprised to read how much he endorsed annuities and life insurance as a guy who was pretty well on, on the trading floor of Wall Street for many years. But it cannot be ignored, guys. The efficiency and the beauty of being able to die with zero and maximize the use of every working dollar you've made throughout your working career to put it into things like annuities that pay you for the rest of your life and life insurance, which refuels the gift to your family, even if you spend down your principal, it just absolutely makes the die with zero paradigm that much more feasible for the average American. So I want to thank Bill Perkins for his great book. I also want to give you guys a few quick takeaways. Number one, create a document showing every five to 10 years of your life. And you might call that your buckets document. This is an idea that Bill Perkins brings in his book. You don't just want to have one bucket. You might have many buckets, certain experiences you want to have at certain ages of your life. For example, when you're 45 to 50 years old, you might be able to do different things than when you're 75 or 80 years old. You know, I went to Europe when I was in high school, and one of the things I really enjoyed was climbing those stairs in all those castles. When I was in high school, I could probably do that. Maybe even now I could. But when I'm 90-something years old, I probably wouldn't be able to walk up those stairs. So you, I'd want to put the castle visiting trip to Europe when I'm younger in my younger buckets and not put it in my older buckets. So that's a, a, one of the key takeaways is having that buckets document and deciding which experiences you want to have at what stages of life. Now, there may be some things that you want to do as an older person that you may not be able to do when you're younger. I'll let you decide how you design your own buckets document. And if you'd like to talk with me about this, go to nyafinancialpodcast.com and click on request a meeting. And we'd be happy to discuss everything from the buckets document to the die with zero concepts using annuities and life insurance, even to just helping you draft your money purpose statement. I think it'd be incredible. And I'd be honored to be able to help you draft that document uh, so that every dollar you make goes toward a specific goal. A specific purpose. 
Okay, the last takeaway I want to give you here is that at a certain age, you'll have a high net worth, but you have to decide at some point to start seeing and being comfortable with seeing your net worth starting to shrink, to come back down. Otherwise, you're not spending down your assets and you're not going to die with zero. If you die with a large net worth, then you didn't fully maximize your life potential. And I see too many people who get to the end of their life and have one of two regrets. One, that they didn't do a better job saving for their eventual uh, need in retirement. But two, people who didn't spend enough to enjoy what they so diligently saved. So you might consider picking a year in which your net worth starts to come back down. Again, anathema for a CFP to tell you to have a lower net worth next year than you do this year, but it's technically the only way you can die with zero is to eventually start to see that net worth come down. So calculate your maximum net worth. Take your remaining years of life expectancy multiplied by your annual spending and discount it by a growth rate. And that's how you can actually start to see when your net worth should come back down. Again, calculate your maximum net worth. Take the remaining years of your life expectancy if you're going to make it to 90 or 95. Multiply it by your annual spending and discount it by a certain growth rate, say 4 or 5%. At some point, you'll reach $0 left. And at that point, only the annuities and the death benefit on the life insurance should be sustaining you at that point. So that's some of my wonderful, interesting, kind of mind-bending takeaways from this cool book, Die With Zero. Thanks again, Bill Perkins, for today's episode content. Uh, I want to say a thanks uh, to a listener who left us a wonderful five-star review. This is NBKU2022, and MB says superb and a must listen. Do yourself and your family a favor by listening and putting into practice what Mark and his guests share. The peace of mind you'll receive is priceless. I listened to almost 50 episodes before I reached out to Mark and scheduled a consultation. At first, I was highly skeptical, so definitely conduct your due diligence. Thank you, NB. I appreciate the kind words and thank you for, one, listening to 50 episodes of our podcast. It's been a privilege to get to work with you guys. And I look forward to many years to come with many more. If you have yet to reach out, what are you waiting for? This was NB's best attempt to get you to reach out and say hi to us. We'd be happy to do a 15-minute consultation with you just to see if this would be a good fit for you. You can go to nyafinancialpodcast.com, click on request a meeting. We'll have a 15-minute chat. Just answer your questions. So thank you guys for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.